My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. Glad you guys are here with us this morning. If you got your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 13, what I think might be the last week in Mark chapter 13. So we'll see. We're, we're flirting with 14 at this point, so we'll see how that goes. All right, so we'll uh, start with our question that we ask each week. Uh, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we have studied so far? So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we have studied so far? Sure. Yes, sir. Ah, there we go. Yeah, so for those of you online, uh, Matt shared uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to help him be aware of opportunities and be aware of the moment, uh, as well as this growing sense of confidence in God's word uh, because of the, the lack of fear that we can have in the reliability of Jesus and his promises, which, you know, I was talking to Julie on the way here this morning, I was thinking in the shower and uh, trying to summarize Mark chapter 13. I thought I was going to end with that. Maybe we'll just start with it, though. Um, the, the longer my time horizon is that I think about something, the more confident and at peace I am. And the shorter my time horizon that I think about something, the more in my own head and in my own heart I get in this anxiety. And I was trying to contrast that with an unbeliever. The, the unbeliever might actually have confidence in the near term but should have no confidence or peace in the long term. It's completely flipped around for the believer and the unbeliever. And I, I would argue it's for, because of chapters like Mark 13, where the disciples ask Jesus this question, and he gives them what I would argue is his longest answer ever on anything. And, uh, and he never panics or freaks out once for the whole thing. It's just calm, steady assurance of the truth, of the reality of the future, and the confidence we can have in him, which... Thank you, Lord. I mean, that's just wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Um, in the midst of all the stuff that's happening in Mark 13, and whatever happens in the future, Jesus and his word are true and faithful. And there we are. So, so if I don't say those words at the end, I said them at the beginning, so we're in good shape. So, All right, so let's read Mark chapter 13. And uh, we'll pick up uh, here in just a minute, Lord willing, with verse 32. And... Uh, See if we can make our way through the end of the chapter. You excited? So Mark chapter 13. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, 
Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign that when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. But these are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Mark chapter 14. 13, sorry. See, I'm already there in my head. I am so anxious to get to 14. I'll, I'll be honest with you, and I think I've mentioned this before, but I have dreaded Mark chapter 13 for quite some time as we were going through this series because of the future nature of the conversation. Um, prophecy 
and all its uh, first cousins terrify me in the Bible from a teaching perspective. Uh, I heard a lot about this and I've heard about a lot about this my entire life in churches. It has never tickled my intellectual curiosity. So I have never actually just said, okay, we're gonna dig down and understand. And I, I don't have the philosophy that Bill Brandenburg, my dear friend, my, that sweet, evil little man, um, that he has, his philosophy is uh, Jesus will work it all out and I'm satisfied with that. I, I think the Bible gives us a little bit more detail than that. Um, but I, I just never really been overly passionate about it. But after going through Mark 13, there's this wonderful sense of calm and peace about whatever it is. And whatever your perspective and when the happens or not, it, it's okay, great. Uh, Jesus is there and he is going to be true and faithful throughout. But I want you to notice something about the structure of Mark chapter 13. So at the very beginning of Mark chapter 13, his disciples, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Do you see these? Verse three, he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple where they were watching the temple. Peter, James, Andrew, and John asked him privately, tell us when will these things be and what will the sign be of these things that are about to be accomplished? That's in verse four. When does Jesus actually answer the question? Open book. When does Jesus actually answer the question? Because he does. He answers it. Verse 28, he starts talking about the sign. Yeah, he's like, okay, we're, we're rounding the corner to the sign, but when does he actually answer the question, when will these things be? 32. 32. So we have spent nine weeks not answering the question. <laughs> like, it, and I, I get that real time, this would have taken seven, eight minutes to say these words, so there wasn't a huge time gap but there was a huge time gap. If you ask your teacher a question and your teacher goes on a seven, eight minute answer, most folks have checked out before we actually circle back. Oh, I, yeah, I'd forgotten I'd asked that question. Right? I'm getting to the point in my life where I walk into a room and I'm, wait, what did I come in here for? And all my dad says is, bud, it's going to get worse. And that's the, this is the way this is. Um, but I, I, it kind of makes me curious if the disciples, if they'd actually forgotten what they had asked in the first place. Jesus is leading up to it, right? He's, he's getting there. But finally, in verse 32, we get to the actual answer. So let's look at verse 32. But concerning that, it's a demonstrative pronoun. So it's a very specific, uh, very specific day. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. And I, I want to... I want to talk for a second about what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, I don't know any of the other hours or days. He just isolates this one, which gives me great confidence in his knowledge of everything else, which is fantastic, right? So, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. This knows is in the perfect tense. This means this is completed action with the results continuing. So there's nobody that has this knowledge that is already existing and it exists up to this point. Nobody's sitting around like, I got the answer and I'm just not gonna tell. Because we've all been in groups where somebody knew the answer to some problem and they, didn't, they wouldn't say the answer. You're just like, come on, you let us sit through all of this and you didn't tell us the answer, what it was. 
So no one knows, not even the angels. Now notice the progression here. And you can, you can read into some really bad theology with this progression if, you're, if we're not careful. Not even the angels, so these are beings in heaven, the angels in heaven, nor the Son. So who's Jesus talking about there? Me. Is it nor me? Or I don't know, right? But only the Father. So notice the progression. You get this, in, it seems like he is presenting an increasing knowledge level. Because if you're an angelic being, you've been around since before the creation, you would have seen all of human history at least, you're going to be pretty well informed about what's going on because you were literally there for it and you are aware of what it is. Jesus, however, is not a created being. So he's been, see, I got to get my verb tenses are all screwed up again. He is, was, is to come, has always been, is, was, is to come, will always be, is, was, is to come. I feel like that's comprehensive, right? So we're going in both directions infinitely. And Jesus didn't know, but the Father knows. And what we can inadvertently read into this is that the gap in knowledge between the angels and Jesus is equivalent to the gap in knowledge between Jesus and the Father. And that is not the case. The gap in knowledge between the angels and Jesus is infinite in compared to the one point gap in knowledge between the Son and the Father. So I don't want us to be like, oh, okay, there's this progression and this is this equal. No, 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 no. Because I've seen charts that talk about this. And they put the gap as the same, and I'm like, no, that's not that at all. Jesus is so much more, so much more. There's one thing that he doesn't know. So only the Father knows. And I love that there's not a verse 33 that says, and I'm freaked out about not knowing. I'm really panicked, and you guys should freak out too. It's not where he goes. He gives them very tactical something to do, with their lack of knowledge. And if you have ever taught a group of people and they have asked you a question that you don't know the answer to, saying, I don't know, full stop, and that being it, can result in the group then making a very bad decision. But there's tons of stuff surrounding the single point that Jesus didn't know that would help the group in the interim between right now to that future point that we don't know. So Jesus goes into that. So verse 33, we've got our first uh, group standing order in this section. So we've got a plural, present, active imperative. So be on guard. So that's our first one. And then the next Greek word is keep awake, which is another plural, pre present, indicative. So we've got uh, imperative, sorry. Um, we've got two group standing orders immediately right here. So be on guard. So look at, look out. Be aware of exactly what, Matt, you were just talking about a second ago. And keep awake, which seems like there's a lot of overlap between those two. So if it feels like there's overlap between those two, there's absolutely overlap between those two. You can stay awake but not be on guard. It's hard to be on guard but not be awake. But apparently there's enough of a distinction that Jesus added both. So here we go. So stay awake, which which is a bit ironic because we're going to talk about the stay awake here in just a minute. Now, there's a little footnote in the ESV that talks about the, the footnote A there in your notes. Uh, so some manuscripts add and pray. It's not in the Nestle Elan 28th edition, so I didn't include it here. So be on guard and keep awake for, because there's a reason I'm telling you this, you don't know when the time will come. 
So a couple of things about these words. You don't know. This word for know is a plural perfect. So you as a group don't have this historical knowledge that continues to right now to understand about what the future is going to happen, which they should have listened to those words and went, yeah, that's why we asked you the question, because we don't know the answer, right? It makes sense. So you don't know when. You, it's funny because you could translate this. You don't know at what time the time will come. And I, I don't know if you grew up in a house where anybody ever said, one more time, and you're going to... There was some theoretical thing in the future that if activity, then this triggers and this happens. And this is, this is Jim's historical understanding of how this you could think about this. So you don't know what time the time will come. And this is an interesting English translation because the will come implies its future. But the Greek is actually present. So you could translate it, you don't know at what time the time comes, which for us is the exact same meaning, right? Because it's going to happen in the future. It, it's, it's one of those odd translation things that I, I would do it differently, but um, I'm not a scholar, and you shouldn't trust me on my, uh, in this space. So verse 34. It is like, or it is in the same manner as, a man going on a journey. So this is you're, you're apart from your own people, you're traveling somewhere, and when he leaves, and the ESV leaves out the, the Greek uh, pronoun uh, autos here for his, he leaves his home and puts his servants in charge. So when, when the master of the house leaves, do the servants still have work to do? If the servants expect to have a job when the master gets back, the servants still have work to do. Yes, right? Because you don't just take off and this is it and there you go. So he leaves the servants, uh, he puts the servants in charge. Now this word for charge is the Greek word exousia. It's uh, for privilege or, or uh, capacity for uh, force or strength or freedom, these types of things, this mastery of a thing. that you've, you've got delegated influence over a thing because somebody's left it here. It's used earlier in Mark. I, I think it's actually one of the most beautiful words in Mark's gospel. Uh, in Mark 122 and 127, it's used to talk about Jesus and his teaching. He has... Exousia, he has authority over his teaching. He's a new authority that he teaches with. In 2.10, it's used to describe his authority over sin. You're like, whoa, that's big, right? In 3.15 and 6.7, it's used to describe his authority over demons. Okay, this list is getting long here, right? So his teaching over sin, over demons... And then in 11, 28, 29, 33, basically his whole ministry. This is this kind of almost generic terms for, you know, how are you doing all of this? Like all that you've done, what, how do you have authority over all this? This is the question that the uh, religious leaders asked him. He said, well, if you can answer this, then I'll answer your question. And they couldn't answer his question, so he didn't answer this one. So this is a beautiful little word. So he puts his servants in charge, each with his work. Ergon is the Greek word where we get our word ergonomics. The, uh, you're probably familiar with that concept. Now, there's two different definitions for this word. One is to, to work or to toil, and the other is an act. And if you look at Mark 14, 6, uh, which, Lord willing, we will next week, uh, this is the story of Jesus' anointing. And uh, there is a woman that comes with an alabaster flask of ointment, 
And in verse 6, but Jesus says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. You're like, where's the word work in there? It's actually the word thing. Is this act? Is this, this, this was her work for Christ. You're like, well, that seems different. Yes. Which makes me want to really pause anytime I look at somebody and go, I'm judging you for what you're doing, what you think you're doing for the Lord. What God's called you to do for the Lord might not ever even cross my mind. I, it would never cross my mind unless I had, even when it does, like if Jesus walked into this room right now, my first thought is not, I've got some perfume and we should break that open and we should anoint him with it. I, I'm not thinking, I'm not going there. That's not where my head is. So this is an interesting word. So each with his work, so we have work to do, and commands the doorkeeper or the gate warden to stay awake. Now, if you have a physical area that you need to defend and take care of, so Mitch, I'm coming to you, is there a person that is going to be on lookout? Yes, okay. Is it imperative that that person stay awake? What happens if the lookout goes to sleep? It depends, right? It could be bad, it could be okay. It could wake up, nothing happened. Oh, okay, I didn't, I didn't see that one coming, that's awesome. Uh, so if it's a peacetime post, he's going to be written up, getting written up. If it's a wartime post, he could be shot. Okay. After he's written up. Because <laughs> we've got to do the paperwork, right? The paperwork's important here, yeah. So he's commanding the doorkeeper to stay awake because he's not there. The master's not there. The master's entrusted to the servants the, the actual job. Verse 35, therefore, stay awake. So what did he start verse 33 with? Keep awake. And what does he say in verse 35? Stay awake. Not the same words, believe it or not. This is to keep awake, to watch. For, so there's a reason for this, you don't know when the master of the house comes. They have limited knowledge. The servants don't have full knowledge about what's going to happen. Now, I think that Jesus does a lot of play on words when he speaks. And I'm half sure that he's doing one here because when he says master, this is the word for curios, this is the word for Lord, which I think is, you don't know when the Lord's coming. There, there might be a little something there. I don't know. We'll see. I may ask him one day. In the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning. So he's listing all these times. And if you're going to get a visitor... Would you expect somebody to knock on your door at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning? Hope not. <laughs> the look my wife just gave me right there was epic. And all I got to see were her eyes, so that was fantastic. So let's talk about these times for just a second because uh, the Bible time wasn't exactly how we think about time. So I've got a, a picture here I want to show you real quick. So we'll talk about... The, uh, the evening, the midnight, when the rooster crows, or in the morning. So this, this rooster crow is really what I want to talk about because most of us have been taught that roosters crow when? Sunrise, yes. And sometimes they do. 
But roosters are shockingly complicated little devils. You, you Google this. You go, oh, there you go. You Google, not right now, but in a minute. You Google this. When do roosters crow? And even better, why do roosters crow? There's like eight different reasons that scientists think this happens. And roosters actually tend to crow more in the fourth watch, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., before the sun actually comes up. Now, the Roman watch would have been divided up into four different parts, so 6 p.m. to 9, 9 to midnight, midnight to 3, and 3 a.m. to 6. So if you ever see the first watch, second watch, third watch, fourth watch, these are the approximate times that things would happen. They couldn't pull up their Apple watch and go like, oh yes, there we go, this is the, no, they knew when these things were happening. Now, they also divided the day up, so the day would have been the first watch of the day, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., second watch of the day, 9 a.m. to 12, 12 to 3, 3 to 6. So when you, when you look at here in the third watch or in the morning, so in the third watch or in the morning or in the morning, you're like, well, which one is the morning? Well, this same word is used in Mark 16, verse 2. Look over there real quick. And very early, that's the word, on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, so it puts us in the daytime. Right? So any point in between basically midnight and 9 a.m., this is a big, broad range that Jesus is talking about here. So in the evening, midnight, when the rooster crows, or in the morning, big swaths of time that are options here. Verse 36, lest he come suddenly, hirisco, this is unexpectedly, to find something, to find you asleep. And I... I heard this word asleep taught radically different as a kid than I understand it to be now. This is a present active participle. This is a habit. This is a lifestyle of being asleep and not being aware. This is not an instantaneous moment where you happen to be sleeping. This is a, like, I'm just not paying attention. I just have a regular normal going through my day, never having anything about what's next on my mind or looking out for. So don't let this word scare you. It doesn't mean, oh man, I dozed off for five minutes. I've failed. Jesus doesn't love me. I'm not, oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's not, not at all what this is talking about. So lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, this is a plural you, to we think this is the four in front of him. I say to all, stay awake. Now, has anybody ever coached any sporting teams? You ever coached a sporting team? You ever been on a team? Cool. You ever been on a team where there were timeouts in that sport? Where you got the, the coach got to call a timeout, and the coach huddled everybody up and gave them directions. You ever been on a team like that? Coaches have, Julie's like, no, I have not. I have not. And I am, I think that is super wise. That's awesome. Um, Coaches are generally taught to repeat what is most important before you put your team back out into the field. You start with it, you end with it. And if you can repeat it in the middle, even better. So this is the thing that I need you to remember. 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 And remember who Jesus is talking to. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. These are not the star pupils, right? 
These are not the exceptional students with gifted memories who are going to latch onto every word and connect all the dots. No, the Holy Spirit has to help them out all the time, just like he has to help us out. So Jesus says, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake, be on guard. Be on guard once and stay awake three times. I think there's a theme on this one, which should make our application and personalization quite simple today. So we're not going to get fancy here. So application number one, we cannot miss this point. The Lord is coming, right? The point is not that we don't know when. The point is that it will happen, right? Jesus does not spend an elaborate amount of time going into the detail of I don't know. He spends an elaborate amount of time going into the reality of the event. So let's make sure we focus on the actual big thing here with this, the Lord is coming. So what do we do with that? Well, be on guard and stay awake. You thought I was going to get cute, didn't you? Nope. <laughs> Quite often in Jesus' teachings, he gives us the personalization very clearly, which is wonderful. So application number two, life involves waiting. A, a massive chunk of our lives involves waiting. And when we are with the Lord one day and can look back on our entire life, perhaps the predominant theme will be God's faithfulness and our waiting. That's fundamentally what we're doing. We are, we are waiting. So what do we do with that? I would say wait obediently. There's a way to wait well. Boy, that's hard to say. And there's a way to wait poorly. So we can wait obediently, stay on guard, stay awake. And then the third application is from this comparison that Jesus makes to the master going on a journey. Uh, there is work to be done while waiting. There's work to be done while waiting. All waiting does not involve just being still. See, I, I have this tendency to see the word wait and to think of Sabbath rest. They're not the same thing. They're not the same thing. So what do we do with that? Just work. Work the work that God has called you to work. And rejoice that he has given us something to do. He did not just tell us, sit and wait on me and do nothing. I don't, I've never really felt like I'm in sales in Christianity, but that would be a hard thing to sell. Come to Jesus and do nothing. Uh, so my life has no value. I can't contribute anything. I can't lend myself toward the work of the kingdom. No, no, we just need you to sit still. Do nothing. Do absolutely nothing. Uh, no. Now, I, I want to be careful. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I, I'm not saying work as if your salvation depended upon it, because it does not. Jesus and his finished work have accomplished all that we need for our salvation, and he calls us to participate in his work, which is glorious and grand and redeems my awful, horrible life to partner with something that is beautiful. What hope and wonder is that? That's just, that's incredible to me. Absolutely incredible to me. So, the Lord is coming. Life involves waiting. There is work to be done. I, I actually wrote whilst waiting because apparently I was feeling fancy when I wrote that. 
Uh, so be on guard, stay awake, wait obediently, and work. And I think, I think we have dodged 95% of the questions around, well, when, and what's the model, and show me a diagram, and... And if you passionately believe those things, I would just say, keep your nose in the book and study more, and God loves you, and I don't understand it. But I know Jesus is true and faithful to his word, and he has called us to something good, and I can't wait to see when that day is. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, may it be today. That would be awesome. So with that, Mark chapter 13, and I hope you are grandly and gloriously unfulfilled with all of your questions that we discussed nine weeks ago. <laughs> so next week, Lord willing, we'll start prepping for Mark chapter 14. Now, for just a second, I want you to look in your Bibles right now at Mark chapter 14. How many verses are in Mark chapter 14? Keep scrolling, keep scrolling, keep 72 verses. Now, there's a couple of ways I can go with this, and this is the direction I'm leaning right now. You, you guys know that at the beginning of each lesson, I read the entire chapter that we're in. If I do that, this is approximately 15 minutes of reading each week, which significantly cuts into how much teaching time we have, which inadvertently extends the amount of time that we're in Mark chapter 14 itself. So it's, a, it's one of those, I can read the entire chapter and it will take us 50% longer to get through Mark. And what I'm leaning toward is reading about half of the chapter each week and then talking about that. And then when we get to the second half, reading half of the chapter, because we're going to be in Mark chapter 14, I think about three and a half months, maybe four months. Like it's, it's a lot, it's a lot, 72 verses. She's heckling me over here from the corner. It's a lot of verses. Uh, so anyway, so that's my, that's my thought. So if that's what we do next week, just FYI. So we may do another prep for the second half of Mark chapter 14. Next week's may just be the first half of Mark 14. So if I come in next week and I say, we're only doing half, then don't throw things at me. Not like you would, but if, if it is, just throw something soft. It'd be helpful. So there's that. All right. Well, thank you guys for being here. Thank you all, uh, guys online uh, from all the different locations, from Sydney, Ohio, from Chattanooga, from uh, the back porch, wherever the back porch is. And uh, that's fantastic. So thanks for being here. You should have a weekly update at your table. So if you'll make sure that everybody at your table's names are at the bottom. And if you want to update any prayer requests or add any new prayer requests, uh, please do so. But after your table has prayed as a group, you are dismissed to go and to worship this one who is coming again. I can use that future indicative confidently. He is coming again, and may it be today. So thanks for coming today, guys. Thanks for engaging, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.